Morning, folks. If we haven't met, my name's uh, Matthew. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, and today uh, we get to talk about what Christianity is about and what God offers everyone in a very straightforward way. So um, I hope for those of you who are Christians, that's encouraging. I hope for those of you who aren't yet Christians, you will see what's on offer and want to accept it. Um, how about I pray for God's help as we listen today and that God would help us to be really attentive. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible, your word, and thank you for this particular uh, parable, this story about the two sons and the loving father. Please help us to understand it today and to understand uh, what you are offering each one of us. And please make it so there's nothing in the way of us accepting your great offer of salvation. Amen. So anyway, we're having a look at a story that Jesus told that he made up to make a particular point. Uh, let me start with a story that isn't made up. It's a true story. Uh, it's actually about one of Mandy's ex-boyfriends, so that's kind of fun as well, but anyway. Uh, I actually knew this guy for a long time before, and then I met Mandy, and they went, oh, yeah, it was, it was weird. But anyway, um, Mandy's my wife, if you haven't gathered that. Two guys decided to go on a kayak trip. Uh, they uh, go for a few hours rowing down the stream. The stream quite quickly gets narrower and narrower, less and less water in it. And they think, well, this isn't right. It must get wider again in just a little while. So it came to a trickle you couldn't possibly kayak anymore, in anymore. They picked up the kayak and the two of them carried it along the, uh, the dry bank where there was not much more than trickle the whole way. Um, and they chatted along the way. They lost track of time. And they got completely preoccupied with the journey, basically. Um, they didn't notice kilometre after kilometre went by and the stream was still completely dry. And eventually they got tired and looked at their watches and realised they'd been walking for four hours carrying a kayak. Uh, and being typical males, they decided after four hours to admit the obvious, I think we might be lost. This isn't a detour anymore, this isn't the scenic route. Being typical males, it took them four hours to do the obvious, which is to pull out the map and have a look at it. They pulled out the map and had a look at it. They found out that they had been going the right way, but the map was 20 years old, so who knows if... In fact, it turned out later that there hadn't been substantial water in that particular river for a very, very long time, and the map was badly out of date, and they were stuck. Uh, they had no mo mobile phone reception. They didn't have any way of communicating with the outside world. There was no one around. They had no food. They had little water. They were tired. They had blisters in their feet, and they had told absolutely no one where they were going. Pretty dumb. Uh, and they admitted it. Uh, we were really lost. Luckily, one of their friends knew basically which direction they were going and called emergency services eventually. And emergency services helicoptered in there and found them and airlifted them to safety. Uh, true story. <laughs> Pretty silly, isn't it? Um, friends, life can be a bit like that, though. Uh, the problem was they were preoccupied with the journey and they'd forgotten about the importance of where they were going. The reason it can be very easy for life to turn out that way is because we're very busy. Uh, we work on the things in front of us, we work hard, we look after our families, we do sports, we do relationships, we travel, we do all kinds of activities, and so we're completely preoccupied with the next thing in front of us rather than the long-distance thing. Where are we going? Where's the journey going? Eventually, some people do have moments in their lives where they step back and they ask the bigger questions about life, you know, where am I going, what's the end goal, and all this sort of thing, and some people actually might say, well, I, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, and they eventually get to a point that these two kayakers got to and say, I think I'm lost. I think I'm lost. I think I don't know where I'm going. And if you don't work that out yourself, um, the Bible actually tells us that. 
God speaks out of heaven to people on earth and says, you are actually lost and you need to be found. Uh, we're lost because we were made into living a right relationship to God and that relationship's utterly broken, but that isn't the end of the story. God wants us to be found and that's what this story is about that Jesus told. He wants all of us to be restored to his family and he's done everything necessary for that to happen. Now, let me just tell you a couple of things you need to understand to get the story. The first thing you need to understand is that God wants to relate to everybody as father. God is often called father in the Bible. Um, Part of the reason uh, he wants to relate to all people as father is because he's he's a father by nature. He's father of the Lord Jesus and has been forever. And he wants to relate to you as father. Now, for some of you, that might not seem like a very good thing. Um, Some people don't know their father. Others wish they didn't know their father which is sad when it's like that, because God designed fatherhood to actually be a wonderful thing, a very, very good thing. But for many, it's a very painful thing. Um, And so we need to hear God designed fatherhood to be a good thing, and he himself is the ultimate father. What do I mean by that? Well, he made everything. He gave life to everything. That's the first thing fathers do. They give life to their children. And he responsibly sustains all the creation. He gives sun, he gives the rain, he sustains the world each day so it continues on its axis and he has authority to teach us the right way to live. And that's what the Bible's about when he teaches his commandments to us about how, what the right way to live and the wrong way to live and the ways that lead to harm and the ways that lead to death and the ways that lead to life. He teaches us as a loving father. And God is the exceedingly generous father. He wants to share everything he has with his people forever. Everything he has Eternal life in the age to come, every good thing, freedom from every bad thing forever. And so he calls lost children to come home. The problem is a lot of people reject God as father. There's more than one way to do that, isn't there? Uh, Some people reject God as father just by very explicitly saying, I don't need God, I'm not interested in him. Other people reject God more subtly, though. Uh, They reject him by being too busy and just ignoring him, just acting as if God doesn't exist, right? I just I, the, the word God has never come out of their mouth. It's not that they've ever cursed God or said they hated God or lived without God or anything like that. They're just preoccupied with other things. And so whilst people like hanging out with people God's made and enjoying the good world that God's made and sustains, mostly people just like to use God's stuff and leave God to the side. That's the problem. This is my house and my stuff and I'm going to enjoy the stuff I have for me and my family and that's actually rejecting God's place as God and Father of all people. And Christianity is about God, how God is still willing to become Father of people who reject him. So he sent Jesus, his unique son, to come to, uh, come to earth to bring people back into relationship to God. What Jesus said is that he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to find God's lost children and bring them home and fix the broken relationship forever. So when people came along, when Jesus came along in the 30s, not the 1930s, in the 0030s, a very long time ago, uh, he didn't just hang around with moral religious types. In fact, he hung around with people who showed the most evidence that they were out of relationship with God. The really, really dodgy folks, basically. Um, criminals, prostitutes, um, tax collectors was the worst thing in their society for reasons I won't go into. Um, but he taught them about God. And he invited them into God's family. And the religious, respectable people of of Jesus' society just didn't get it. How can God be interested in these worthless people and inviting them into his family? They just didn't get it. But Jesus said, heaven rejoices over just one lost person returning a relationship with God. Yeah, they're lost. Yeah, they don't deserve it. But God wants to invite them home. 
He wants to invite all people home. And so that's the context of this story we heard called the prodigal son. It should actually be called the parable of the two sons or the loving father or something like that because there's actually two sons in the story and they're both important. Um, in the story, there's a father who represents God and there's two sons. And they represent two responses to God and his invitation to uh, be part of his family forever. So I'd, I'd like to invite you to have a Bible open because I'm just going to go through this story and comment on it as we go. And look at chapter 15, verse 11, on page 1048, if you've got one of the Bibles that's, you know, on your chair or on the ground. Let's just read through it. Let me comment on what's going on in the story Jesus is telling about the loving father and these two sons. Verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered uh, his wealth in wild living. The most heart-wrenching thing for a father surely has to be, a decent father, their child utterly rejecting them. And that's what happened in this story. Um, What do you think is involved when he says, give me my share of the estate? Think about what if your child said that to you now. Um, Can we act as if you're dead now, please? Is what he's saying. Because when you die, I get half the estate. There's two of us. Can you just drop dead and give me half of the estate now? No, actually, you you can keep living. Just give it to me now. I just, I don't care. Sell the house. Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want you. I just want your stuff. I mean, how would you respond to that? It's astonishing the way this father responds. It just says, verse 12, matter of fact, so he divided his property between the two sons. Half the property just went on the market and was sold. And then the money was just given to the son. The father let him go his own way. The son sells his share and leaves with all the money. Um, You need to understand this is absolute public scandal. Um, In Jesus' day, they lived in a kind of a shame-honour culture. What this son has done, far worse than taking his money, is he has brought utter shame and humiliation on his father. He slandered and ridiculed him in public destroyed his reputation, his property just shrunk in front of the whole town and he has no social standing worth talking about anymore. He's shamed his father and he's permanently severed his relationship with his father forever. And so he walks off taking his father's wealth, or half of it, and taking his father's good name with him. And the Bible says that's what, much like what human beings do to God. God, I don't want you, I just want your stuff. Leave me alone, God, I just want your stuff. We just want to live in the world he's made and live in it as if God was dead. And my ideal world, God, is one where you're not part of it. I just want your stuff. Verse 13. Not long after that, the uh, younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. The son spent all that money immorally and foolishly. It was immoral because he spent it really badly on prostitutes and drunkenness and self-indulgence, self-centred living. Um, It was foolish, though, because he was so reckless that he didn't notice all the money was gone until after all the money was gone. The bag was empty, and that was the moment he noticed, oh, I've got nothing left. And at that moment, he realised that he had nothing and no one in the whole world. Awful situation, verse 15. So he went and hired himself as a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Incredibly desperate situation. Even wanted to have the pig food. But then he came to his senses. Verse 17. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Sorry, just give me one moment here. I had the flu this week, so my brain isn't working right. (laughs) No, I'm all right. He came to his senses. How many of my father's servants have food to spare? They aren't starving. I used to be his son. He knows he'd burn every single bridge with his father. Verse 17. Came to his senses. How many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I know what I'll do. I'll set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. This is repentance. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He doesn't expect to get a whole lot. He doesn't expect a whole lot. He thinks the servants of my father have a better thing going than I do, so I'll go and be one of those servants, hopefully. And so he sets out, and verse 20 is just extraordinary. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son expected to return and beg for forgiveness really quietly and humbly, but his father was already looking for him. There's only one way his father could have run to him on the horizon there, and that was every day he got up and he looked on the horizon to see if his son was coming back. And the moment that son did appear, he bolted for him. Now you've got to understand, in that society, there is protocol for dealing with wayward sons. And what's amazing about this story isn't that the father ignores all the protocol. What's amazing is he reverses it. What should have happened is the son should have come groveling, desperate for forgiveness. What did happen was the father rushed out, desperate to give it to him. The inferior person in this situation should have approached the superior person with reverence while the superior party stands with confidence and poise and takes all the time in the world to work out how they want to respond to this despicable man. Instead, the father rushes to his son who's disgraced him with all the dignity of a slave, looking ridiculous in the eyes of the town once again. The son should have to prove his sincerity through punishment and hard work, but the father runs to the son and with hugs and kisses, he accepts him back before he has a chance to say anything. Can you see the kind of love the father has for this son? The Bible says that's the kind of love the father has for you. There is nothing that son could have done that would have stopped that father accepting him back if only he would come and ask him to. There's nothing he could have done. Friends, whenever there's wrongdoing, I think we know this in our own lives, whenever there's wrongdoing, Payment needs to be made to fix it. There's always a debt to pay when something wrong's done. The type of debt depends on what kind of wrongdoing's been done, doesn't it? So if you've done financial wrongdoing, there's a financial debt. If you've done shame wrongdoing, there's a shame debt. If you've done a crime, there's a criminal punishment to pay for for the the wrongdoing. Um, To forgive someone is to take that debt onto yourself rather than expecting them to pay for it. 
That's what forgiveness is. I won't hold the damage you've caused me to your account. I will absorb it into myself. I will take it upon myself and deal with it myself. So some people say, can't God just forgive people for the wrongdoing they do? Yes, but there's no just about it. It's actually a big deal because what it means is God is saying to us, I won't get you to pay for your wrongdoing. I'll take care of it. I've got the debt for this. I'll pay for your wrongdoing so you don't have to yourself. And that's what Jesus' death on the cross is about. At the centre of Christianity is the Son of God dying on a cross, paying every debt that mankind has costed our relationship to God. Where we've angered God, Jesus bore God's anger in our place. Where we've shamed God, Jesus was stripped naked and humiliated and killed on a cross like a, like a criminal. Where we deserve punishment, Jesus died like a criminal in our place. So at the cross of Jesus, God says, today I absorb your debt into myself so you don't have to pay it. It's wonderful. Have a look at verse 21. This is what the son says. He kind of seems to cut the speech off a bit early. Uh, The son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, put the best robe on him, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Friends, some people won't come to God because they don't think God loves them enough. Perhaps you are aware of how much wrong you have done in your life. Perhaps you're acutely aware of your past and how very glad you are the person sitting next to you doesn't know about those things that you're thinking about now. Perhaps you're acutely aware of how you've harmed others or how your chosen lifestyles just left you feeling wretched and empty. Perhaps it's just less dramatic than that. Maybe you just know that you've lived in utter defiance and ignorance of God and just, God, I want to live with your stuff, but I don't want you. Perhaps that sums it up for you. And so your conclusion could be, God could never love me, I don't deserve it, I'm not good enough. Right? I've got some good news for you. Um, You're right, you don't deserve it, and you're not good enough. And that's the whole point. You're not worthy, you don't deserve it, you're not good enough, you don't deserve God's love, but God stands ready to forgive you as you are. That's what Christianity is about. God's absorbed the dead into himself and he's by his son dying on the cross. And so we say Christians aren't good people. Christians are forgiven people. It isn't that what defines me as a Christian is how good I am. Far from it. What defines me as a Christian is how forgiven I am. How much of a debt, my entire debt, the son of God has paid in my place. And so God is like this father with his arms outstretched waiting for people to come to him. Humbly seeking all he has to offer. Uh, If you've never done that, today's a good day to do that, and we'll come to that in a minute. But I want you to notice in the story, there's two brothers, not just one, and we often forget this. This is falling. Uh, Have a look at verse 25. There's a second brother. Remember he said, I'm going to tell you a story about two sons. The older son was in the field, verse 25. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you 
and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, no brother of mine, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. The brother is absolutely furious. Why? Because he thinks this is a justice issue. I stayed here and worked. I deserve stuff. He ran away and squandered everything. He deserves to get shut out forever. At first it sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? But that's not the relationship between a father and a son. That's the relationship between an employer and an employee, not a father and a son. A relationship with a father can never be earned and inheritance can never be earned. It's given freely. And so the brother doesn't understand what it means to relate to his father as a father. He rejects the blessings of a father saying, can I please have my paycheck as your employee now? And can you shut him out forever because he's a bad employee and he's fired? And so in the end, the older brother sounds quite similar to the younger brother. What he's saying is, Dad, I don't want you, I just want your stuff. Or he sounds close to that. He sounds like he's on the way to that. And what happens in the story is whilst the obvious rebel is now inside enjoying his restored relationship with his his father, the older brother is outside and refuses to come in. And so for the second time, a father is forced to go out and plead with a son to come home. And the older brother starts to look as lost to his father as his younger brother ever was. Though the father keeps saying, look, everything I have is yours, just... Enjoy it, be part of it, accept it. Friends, there's two ways to reject a gift. Um, One is to say no, to run away. The other way to reject a gift is to try to pay for it, to try and turn a gift into a thing you've earned. In Christianity, God offers forgiveness and eternal life freely and he will not let people earn it. He relates to us as a father because... If you go in the whole what you deserve uh, direction, we aren't going to get good things from the father because he'll treat us as our sins deserve. The younger brother, think about it in terms of what's in their hands. The younger brother, what did he have in his hands when he approached his father? Nothing. (laughs) All he had in his hands was mercy, please. (laughs) That's all he could say. And his father was delighted to put every blessing he had into that son's hands. The older brother's hands weren't empty. The older brother had a clipboard and he had a pen. And he was saying, by my calculations, you owe me this and this and this. And by my calculations, you owe him not this, this and this. In fact, you owe him getting out forever. He had a clipboard in his hands. Some people struggle to become Christians because they don't think God could love them. Well, he does and he's offered forgiveness to everyone. But some people don't become Christians because they're so certain that God should love them. They're convinced they deserve it. And that's the older brother's problem. I've got on my list, what have you got written on your clipboard? I went to church. I'm a nice person. I've got a nice family. I I work hard. I try to do good. You might be a decent religious person, but don't let that fool you into thinking you've earned an inheritance from God. Friends, make no mistake, any attempt to try to earn God's inheritance or to earn your way into good standing with him is a complete rejection of him as father, isn't it? It's turning him into an employer again. 
The only way to have forgiveness is to drop the clipboard and recognize you to approach God with absolutely nothing to offer. Because God doesn't owe any of us. We don't deserve salvation and inheritance from him. But he looks at the horizon saying, when will you just run to me and just, just take it? It's, it's here on offer. Uh, I think in most churches, both of those sons exist. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's examples of both brothers here today. Maybe you're thinking, God could never forgive me. I hope you can see Jesus is saying, actually, it doesn't matter what you've done, what your past is, God offers you forgiveness and a fresh start with him and an inheritance that you don't deserve. And there may be people in the room basically going, well, I don't really need forgiveness like that. But you do. And so you need to respond in exactly the same way as the younger brother because the father offers you an inheritance freely and you can't earn it. There's a prayer that will um, appear on the slide just now. And it's just based on what the younger son said because it's a good good way of approaching God. Um, It says, Father God, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your child. That's a good starting point because none of us deserve what God has to offer. That's what it's saying. I'm not worthy. But thank you that through Jesus, I can be part of your family. I eagerly accept your generous invitation. Please help me to live my life as a member of your family. Amen. Um, I'm going to pray that line by line in a minute. And if you'd like to become a Christian today, which means you want to relate to God as Father and accept all he has to freely give you, um, that's a good thing to pray. But if you are a Christian, I reckon it's a good thing to pray as well because that defines my relationship today as much as the day when I started. So um, I'm going to say it line by line. And if you want to pray that, please uh, pray it in your own heart and mind to God. And uh, yeah, let's pray together. Father God, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be called your child. But thank you that through Jesus, I can be part of your family. I eagerly accept your generous invitation. Please help me to live my life as a member of your family. Amen.